Smart politics for stupid times. Welcome to the unprecedented podcast with John Aravosis and Cliff Schechter. Welcome back, everybody. Thursday, June 10th. John Aravosis here with Cliff Schechter. And Cliff, today we have a, another guest. We are in a role here. Guest after I know. guest. Um, People just got tired of hearing us talk, John, and we have to just so. accept that. Well, not, not that that changes with the guests, but uh, today's guest is Doug Paget. Doug is the executive director of Vote Common Good, a nonprofit that tries to invite religious voters to take an off-ramp from the Republican Party. Uh, Doug is a progressive evangelical pastor from Minneapolis. Uh, Doug, welcome. And let me start with that description right there. What is a progressive evangelical pastor? I would have never thought such a thing existed. Yeah. Well, hey, John. Hey, Cliff. Uh, glad to be here. Sure. You know, um, f- the expression of being an evangelical is it's it's not meant to be synonymous with being conservative, certainly not synonymous with being right wing. It, it's sort of this um, non-denominational uh, experience of Christianity right. by which people think a lot about how the teachings of Jesus should compel them in their life to be of good to the world. Right. And that has been taken over uh, over the last 40 years by a particular conservative expression of uh, Christianity and of cultural engagement. And so there's this little sliver of us, I don't know, maybe 20% of evangelicals who would say, hey, we're not in it for the conservative expression. In fact, we would even say that the teachings of Jesus should teach us and call us to more inclusion, to more kindness, to more openness. So and, Jesus wasn't uh, a supply cider? That's right. Sorry, I, I can't help know, it. Carrying a Kalashnikov. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus said a couple things about, help, uh, you know, a few things here and there about helping the poor that would make me think, hmm, maybe he wouldn't be a big fan of Reaganomics and uh, – I don't know. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no, totally. And this is, I mean, this is actually the work that a lot of us have been doing Mm -hmm. for a long time is that uh, this, this call, not only to your individual spirituality, but to a collective experience of, of Christianity with other people really should call you to something that, uh, that puts a pretty serious critique on, um, you know, you know, generally on capitalism as a whole, it's, it's um, something that wants people to think about, the benefit and the the experience of others before yourself. So any of the trickle down, any of the supply side, I guess a, a reasonable Christian person could hold those views, but they just have to do some very sophisticated right. ethical math to make that work. Um, right. I mean, it seems to me what they pulled off, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what's incredible is like, you know, you, you hear all these right wingers. I, I, you know, I studied history and I know a lot. I mean, people don't get that a lot of progressive movement forward i mean think of mlk as the easiest one that everybody knows was led by progressive religious organizations in this country right Right. i mean a lot of it right and 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 so people forget that um and and then they forget that what the right successfully pulled off by fusing you know the moral majority with the supply siders in a way that made no sense unless you sort of lied to people i mean the classic example ann rand who they all love, they had yeah. to find ways to get around what she really said because she hated all religion because she realized religion, right. uh, the progressive side of religion, called for people to unite and to to that's share. Right. And, and, right, go ahead. Let me let me kick it to you. No, I think that's exactly right. You know, it, it, it's a bit remarkable, and a number of us who've worked for the last number of decades on a, a different experience of Christianity and politics and and cultural engagement have really had to stand in awe at how the religious right could 
even consider using Christianity's teachings as its rationale for its behavior and for its belief. And frankly, the fact that a lot of us in the religious community have just ceded this land and this territory to the religious right and have given it over to them. I, I often refer to it as, you know, a turning the land over to the squatters that that that's really where the problem lies. So a lot of the work that we're trying to do is within the religious communities. Sometimes it's with leaders, sometimes it's with influencers and pastors and and people, you know, in hierarchies. But we really see a people movement brewing among uh, people with evangelical background and evangelical interests to call for a different way forward for all of us. The, the struggle then is that after 40 years of religious people and evangelicals acting so badly, you know, should they be welcomed into the progressive political movements or not? I think a lot of us have some work to do to prove that um, we're, we're willing to really be as um, open and inclusive as uh, we say that we are. So that's where a lot of the, the struggle comes from. It's really not trying to, when I'm in a theological conversation with my right wing friends, that's an easy conversation to have. Uh, when I'm in a conversation with my political friends on the progressive side, and they look at me scantily and say, really, are you guys really trustworthy on this? That's, uh, that's where more of the work has to be done, because so many of us have not done the work that we need to do to be engaged in uh, caring about the whole, uh, and to a degree that we need to. Where do we find uh, you say 20 percent of evangelicals are progressive? Where do they tend to be located? What states? What areas? Yeah, they're kind of scattered around the country. You know, uh, it's going to surprise some people to know that, like in Texas and North Carolina, there's a whole string of people who identify as Baptist, but they're not part of the Southern Baptists. They're part of these these break off groups from the Southern Baptists that are they're quite progressive so in texas north carolina georgia you have huge swaths of of these collective baptists sometimes they're called mm -hmm. and so so you'll see them there um in the midwest it comes out a little differently it's not the baptist expression it's sort of the the free church the reformed churches uh and and what happens you know like like it happens inside of a lot of other religious traditions is you get uh, mixed congregations, right? So you have a congregation that'll be 75% for Donald Trump, but that other 25% is making a very strong argument that they don't want to support those policies and they want to support a, uh, a political agenda and a religious agenda that's, that's much different. So inside the very congregations and communities that do tend to lean conservative, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to uh, whitewash the fact that, you know, 70% of evangelicals are hardwired into the Republican agenda. But that other group, uh, you know, it's a, it's the, uh, it's a remnant that, that has a lot of power actually to, to be organized. Now, the problem, part of the work that we're doing at, at Vote Common Good and the other efforts that I'm involved in is a lot of these people feel alone and they feel, um, very isolated. They feel like, I know it's me and a few friends at my church, but, you know, we how can we raise our voice in relationship to all these other people? So we do a lot of online organizing. We write books. We produce uh, audio and video content. Like we're trying to create these spaces for people to realize that they're not alone right. uh, in this in this work. And it's actually true of a lot of pastors as well. 
you would be surprised how many people are leading congregations where the congregation is feels like it leans very conservative on social issues. Right. But the pastor is not that way. And uh, hmm. I, I, I'm in a lot of conversations with uh, pastors who are saying, hey, how do you think we can make, how can I make this shift in a way where I don't lose my job? I don't right. blow up my church. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, that these people that get into religion as a profession, right. oftentimes they do it for really good reasons. And they tend not to be people that want to rock the boat or... Right tear their churches apart or anything else, you know, and they certainly don't want to do it over some political squabble where well, they're yeah. like, Hey, I'll do it over, you know, big issues for the care of humanity or the planet. That, but uh, th that's something that I've often said about uh, when, when people over the years, actually, I do want to ask you in a second, why even talk about religion? Cause I know some of our listeners are going, God, I hate religion. They've always been bad to me as a woman, as gay, as black, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's get to that in a second. But, but, um, of course, now that I said that, because I didn't want to forget that point, I'm forgetting the point I was going to ask you. Um, oh, what were you just saying about you? You got me at something really interesting I wanted to ask you. Oh, the pastors. And um, God, it's how they reach out to their flock. Uh, yeah, they, they don't want to blow up their churches. They don't oh, see yeah. them for yeah. politics purposes. Yeah. yeah. I, when people on our side would bemoan the fact that, you know, the religious right is so active on the Republican side and on our side, you know, where is our religious left, so to speak? And one of the things it, it always seemed to me that as much as you do have a segment of religion on the left that can be very radical, right? I mean, especially, I was going to say, at least I know back in the eighties, <laughs> right? I mean, you, you yeah. had a, some, you know, going to the, the, the central America and people who were really almost revolutionaries in a way, not in mm -hmm. a bad way necessarily, but generally speaking, I feel like on their side, some of the religious people are just kind of mean and angry and the religious leaders and like right, the anti-gays, the anti-everything, they're just, they're fire and brimstone. Whereas on our side, it's love thy neighbor kumbaya. And it's kind of hard to, to fight fire and brimstone with love, even though I know Jesus would say do that. But as a political person, loving thy neighbor doesn't really get you often very far, at least the work Cliff and I do. I don't want to yeah. paint Cliff as not loving his neighbor, but you know. My neighbors right, are actually pretty nice people. Like we have workouts <laughs> with them here and there, throw yeah, football. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, I'm the comic yeah. relief here. That's but you made no, me it's... think of that with what you were saying. Where I sometimes think the problem is that on our side, the religious people are the way you're supposed to be. <laughs> well, one one of the things right. that we're saying to my, I say to my fellow religious leaders all the time on the mm. on the left and the progressive side is, you got to turn off, you, you got to press that mute button. You've got your mute button turned on, like you're in a constant Zoom meeting. Right. Um, the, the problem is that hate and hateful and fear-mongering seems to engender in an individual and a community that uh, a very loud response, right? Hate and and, right. and loud volume seem to go together. For some reason, we believe that love, inclusion, kindness, goodness should also be quiet, meek, and restrained. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a combination that shouldn't be there. We should, as we say in our, in our organization, we should love out loud and a whole lot louder right. than we are. So part of the problem is that so many religious leaders are so quiet. I, I was yeah. just in a conversation with hundreds of them here. Yeah. I'm in Washington, D.C. today, even though I live in Minneapolis. Um and a number of us were together and I'm around religious leaders on the left all the time. And we always bemoan with each other that like, why, when we start talking publicly about politics or faith, we won't quote Jesus, 
we won't even tell people that we're religious leaders. We'll say like we're right. community organizers yeah. because there's something in the system that is nervous about the very thing you raised, right? Well, we know that religion yeah. has treated people badly. Yeah. So rather than replacing that with good religious practice and common good religious extension, we just get ashamed, embarrassed, right. and quiet. And we just assume, quote, Rumi as, quote, Jesus. We'll give you a Gandhi yeah. illustration and not a religious, uh, I, Christian I, religious I, expression. I, with a, I forget this point, but I would say, the, the, to me, the broader point um, it, to, of this is, actually, you guys aren't much different in that way than a lot of the left, which John and I talk about on here, is that because we believe in the rightness and the goodness of our intentions, because we believe we're out there trying to help people, uh, we sometimes forget that actually we are in a political war of ideas and it does matter. In other words, if you're just mm -hmm. saying the right things, because that's what Jesus would do. And that's what other religious figures, if you study that care about people would do, you wouldn't have to, to get out there and message correctly, right? You would just tell, right. share the message of love. And we get that on the left side too, where we think, well, we have this great policy. It's going to give more people health care. Right. We just need to, to do that. We don't need to actually go out it's there. So and, good. And, we don't need and, to sell it. Right. We don't need to yeah. sort of undercut the other right. side and point out where they're lying and all that. Yeah. The that would be all, mean. So, so, right. So I don't think you're unique. You guys are unique that way. I think you're actually part of the broader thing that John and I spent a lot of time talking about in this podcast that we have to all fight, which is knowing that we're doing the right thing and the good thing, the thing that makes us a better planet and a better country. But sometimes, even though we'd rather not, we do have to be willing to get into the mud with them and point out where they are hypocrites and where they are dishonest. Uh, and I know that must be even harder for you to do if you're coming from a religious standpoint. But, um, you know, I mean, people are being hurt by these guys. I can't even imagine, and maybe I'll just throw it to you here, what you feel like when you see these, you know, Joel Austin types or whatever, who are like, oh, you know, I need you to give me more money so I can get my plane. My, my, my first plane isn't working. I need the second one. I mean, what these guys have taken the message and done with it is, it, 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 I would think it would make your skin crawl, certainly makes mine. But it, well, it's I don't want to speak true. for you. No, yeah, no, you're you're right. Like it's certainly true. Um, but I'm one of those people who believes the best way to counteract a negative message is with a better message. And one of the reasons I like being from the evangelical tradition is that in the evangelical tradition, embedded in the name is the notion of evangelism, right? That you're an evangelist. In other words, you're asking people to consider your way of life and to join you in it. Now, that should not be coercive. It certainly should not be punitive. It should always be open-handed and, and, and considerate and invitational. But if we don't try to win the argument by having a positive calling for how we're going to live in the world and how we should be, right. and we think that the best way to convince someone to move in their thinking or their behavior to another way is by showing them that they're hypocrites, that doesn't work. Like, um, everyone knows they're a hypocrite. Like everyone I've ever met is like, you know, I never really live up to the things that I, that I espouse. So telling people amplifying how there's a failure right. is only so motivating. Part of the problem is there's not a compelling progressive vision for how we ought to live. That is, hmm. um, that is catchy, that is shorthand, that is meaningful. Like part of following Jesus is you're like, you know, the thing Jesus was good at, he's really good at catchphrases, actually. Right. Like, think of all the things you know about Jesus. Most of them can fit in a tweet. That's true. I hate to say, I hate to say it, reminds me, 
It reminds yeah, turn me. Turn the other cheek, and I mean, it's true. Every, <laughs> love your neighbors, saying, you love yourself. But, but, but yeah, you know what? You're both those making who persecute me, you. Do good to those who. I don't mean to like. jump in, but you know what? You're both making me think of is Donald Trump. Totally. There is so much going on in the world that can make it difficult to relax and decompress. You've experienced the Sunday scaries, that feeling of dread in the pit of your stomach that comes on Sunday afternoons. Now, here's a totally different Sunday scaries, vitamin-boosted CBD gummies. And you don't even have to wait until Sunday night rolls around. Self-care is so important, and Sunday scaries is here to help. Sunday scaries believes that everyone deserves a hand on a difficult day. So if you're looking for a way to decompress, Sunday scaries has you covered with their CBD products. Visit sundayscaries.com. And use promo code SEXYLIBERAL, all one word, at checkout to get 25% off your order. That's 25% off at SundayScaries, S-C-A-R-I-E-S, dot com, with promo code SEXYLIBERAL, one word. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. These products are not for use or sale to persons under the age of 18. Well, have I ever mentioned to you what a carnivorous beast my mom is? She loves steak and burgers, right? We grew up on them. I've never seen her so happy when I sent her Omaha steaks and burgers for Christmas one year. Holidays around the corner. Finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com right now and enter Stephanie in the search bar to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon wrap filet mignons, chicken breasts, sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use the code Stephanie, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com. You'll get eight free burgers when you enter the code Stephanie. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. That's omahasteaks.com. The keyword is Stephanie, omahasteaks.com. Well, if you ever catch yourself thinking when looking in the mirror, I wish my under-eye bags would just go away. You're not alone. Bags and puffiness under the eyes are a problem for millions of American men and women. Until now, introducing my new favorite, the new GenuCell Serum with plant stem cell technology from Chamonix. Susan from New Jersey wrote me, I've been using GenuCell for a couple months. The puffiness around my eyes is gone. Even the crow's feet and small lines have disappeared and haven't come back. I love this product. I use it under my eyes, around the cheekbones, and on my eyelids. With its instant effects, Chamonix says you'll see results in the first 12 hours or your money back. They guarantee it. Order now and save big on Genucel's risk-free introductory offer. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. That's G-E-N-U-C-E-L. For an instant 10% off your order, order now. You'll get the amazing Genucel XV face cream when you order the exclusive Genucel most popular package at checkout. That's love, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Stephanie. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. But the, the catch again, and so it's funny, some of our some of our people didn't like our last podcast, Cliff, because they thought we were praising Trump. But Trump knows how to message and he had the catchy catchphrases, fake news. Or, I mean, all the others, yeah. Hillary, yeah. Uh, was it? I'd like uh, to make clear to anybody listening, by the way, John, that we're never Hillary. praising Donald Trump. <laughs> we yeah, have to really. analyze honestly. Yeah. And if he does yes. a good job, he messages well, people, though. We need to talk about that. As a human yeah. being, he'd be just about the best person on the planet, I would praise. But yeah. that's not what we're discussing yeah. here. Right. Yeah. But if a man is a fashion icon, as Donald Trump has shown himself to be, you just have yes. to give him credit for that. Like he can't, you, do. you know, you don't you don't I mean, get a pair many, of pants and a jacket like that without. Yeah. Right. How many people business. don't put pants on backwards and, and have toilet paper attached to their shoe now when they walk around? I mean, it's the cool thing to do. But yeah. what, I mean, what, what's an example or do you do do you just not have it? I mean, what's an example of the kind of messaging we could have on the left on religious issues like they've got on the right? 
Well, for, for us, we think it's really great to use the actual religious phrases and terminology that right. people are familiar with and Love to invoke those. works for a lot of things. It works for gays. It works for climate. It works for everything, I would think, for example. It, it's, it's really great. You know, and there's right. a bunch of I mean, these, right? Like the Bible's actually full of, full of little catchy phrases that, yeah. that people will, will remember. So you know, what we're, we're fond of saying to evangelicals, uh, this passage, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others before yourself. There you go. Yep. When you say to people, don't be vain, don't be right. conceited and consider others, you have a built-in critique of modern day Republican politics and the Trump administration. Yeah. Right. We, we have this little catchphrase when we would do, we were touring the country and having events with um, voters in 2018 and in 2020 uh, in every state in the country. And we, uh, you know, I would often say, look, as a, as a Christian and as a uh, human being, I believe that everyone is the light of the world, the salt of the earth, a beloved child of God. Donald Trump is the light of the world, but not every light of the world should be the president of the United States. And this man needs to take his dim little light and get it out of the White House and stop bothering the good people of this country. So there's a way in which one can acknowledge your conviction of the love of God that right. yes, God loves all of us without exception, no qualifications. Hmm. But not every person loved by God should do everything. And current beloved children of God that are Republicans should stop, stop having the ability to set the agenda for the social policies of this country. Right. Th those are not in conflict, uh, you know, that, that you're going to sort of ignore. You don't have to hate your enemy to say that your enemy shouldn't be the one setting your agenda. And this is the kind of thing that a lot of people, because look, frankly, a lot of voters, they don't vote out of policy. They don't even vote out of values. They vote out of identity. Yep. It's how Very do we true. see ourselves? And when someone tells you that you your social construct for your identity is illegitimate, it doesn't really carry a lot of power. When you call someone to live up to their identity, to say like, I think you see yourself as a good person. How about if that translates into every area of your life, including how you vote? That's a call that for religious people is is quite quite convincing, right? That they yep. shouldn't let their their political vote have some exception to goodness. Um, I wish in some ways we could get more pastors. I mean, you know, so much of how cultures, you brought up identity, so much for how groups, various groups, tribes, whatever you'd like to call them, develop identities is around what they think is, you know, preferred behavior among their peers, acceptable behavior. You know, uh, I, I, I so wish that we could be more, you know, maybe it's progressive pastors at some more of these churches or because I feel like if you had people in the community, in these communities, constantly sharing this message to push back against everything else that folks are hearing if they're watching Fox News, if they're hearing their local right wing politician, you know, who, who are obviously taking the using the Bible to justify what they're doing and not really based on the Bible at all. <laughs> you know, like I feel like maybe we could we could change things. And in some places we have, obviously. Right. I mean, you can see oh, totally, that. totally. Um, look, look, there are major issues uh, that uh a religiously motivated voter, whether they're Catholic or evangelical, especially those two groups, feel out of step with the Republican Party, but they're unwilling to give up their identity as a Republican simply over a policy dispute. 
But look, I feel that way about being a Democrat. Like, you know, I have some serious policy differences with the way the current Democratic Party is uh, soft selling itself, but I'm unwilling to give it up uh, my identity for that. Um, and, and, And that's so to ask someone simply to do it out of political expediency is less well, motivating right. than I don't asking mean them to do it out of their own, their own sense. Yeah. I want to be clear. That wasn't what I meant. I, you know, no, no, I, it's no, more I a cultural change that right. obviously would influence politics. That'd be one of the things that would influence, but it would influence our entire, the way we live. If, you know, people are being taught in certain areas, you know, by their pastors, by others around them to be more inclusive, you know, are being taught uh, more about the good Samaritan than about the border wall. You know, these That's kinds right. of things. <laughs> yeah, look, and, and most most people that we talk to um, around the country and are working with, they know very little about politics, right? They don't really know how it works. They don't even understand who their representatives are. We, we would run events, as I mentioned, around the country, and people would come to our events. They'd be so excited. They'd say, yes, I'm going to vote for the common good. And then we'd be in conversations afterward, and they would say things like, Hey, it's 2018. Why are we having an election this year? Who, who like that's not a we say, well, this is, you know, for your the person who's running for the House of Representatives. And they would say, and that's different than the Senate. Is that that's different than my Senate? Well, that's an indictment of our education system, too. <laughs> and these are people motivated enough to show up at a, you know, a political, a politically oriented meeting, calling them to, to live out their faith. So the information people have is far um, less than the passion that they have. And this is what the religious right takes advantage of all the time. And it's part of what we need to do in our, in our, in our progressive engagements is to be people that help folks feel like they are competent in talking about politics. The biggest thing that I've found that keeps people from engaging in politics is they don't like to feel dumb. And if they don't know what's going on and they don't know what's happening, they feel out. So they they lean into something they know better, which would be, say, their faith. And so it creates this chasm between their faith and their and their politics. And then the right, right. wing takes advantage of that and right. says to them, uh, good people do this. And uh, basically, you know, the religious right says, here's what good people do. And the religion and the progressive left says, here's what smart people do. And that idea, and I'm guilty of this myself, of feeling like, you know, if you were more informed, if you were smarter, if you knew what was going on, you would vote or you would think this way. Um, that comes across to people as quite, um, quite off-putting. And it's hard yeah. not to, it's really hard not to do that, right? I just find myself. We, we all do that to a certain oh, degree, man. I think. Yeah. yeah can, can I can I jump in and ask you something, Doug? I, I, I'm, and Cliff and I often ask our either ex-Republican or never-Trumper guests this question about Republicans. And I want to ask it to you about people of faith. I don't understand, as somebody, I was brought up uh, Greek Orthodox. I'd say I'm probably more agnostic now, but mm-hmm. Greek Orthodox. And But, you know, there's still enough of it in me. I don't understand when I talk to people of faith, forget evangelicals, because I'm, I'm Greek Orthodox. I don't know any evangelicals from Chicago. I know no evangelicals, but, but, you know, but a lot of people who are Greeks who are basically like Catholics and, you know, other yeah. similar religions. I don't understand when I talk to uh, Trump voters, uh, friends of my parents, right? I mean, so you're talking very religious immigrant types, um, you know, from Greece, but immigrants like from the 1930s. So, uh, you know, Republicans, whatever. When I talk to them, and they don't simply support Trump because 
we've got to have the Supreme Court and they understand the importance of the Supreme Court for abortion or whatever. I don't know. And probably, honestly, these people probably don't even care about abortion anyway, but whatever their pet issue is, they actually like Donald Trump. And what, what I don't understand is, and this comes in more with my faith background, I'd say, he disgusts me. And I still know enough of my Christianity to just see this man and go, why would you not say, look, Donald Trump's a pig. I get it. He doesn't exactly go with my Christian values, but it is important that we fight abortion and blah, blah, blah. Right. That I could at least understand logically, even if I don't agree. But a person of faith not saying, yeah, this guy's disgusting. I get it. I, what is going on in their heads on that? A friend of mine and is. How do you re- and how do you reach them on that, or do you not even try to reach them on that? No, I think you do. I, I think that's exactly what you have to go after. Right? Is why does why do certain people, religious or not, like to have a strong man in their in their yeah. pantheon of of support in their life? I right. have a friend who's written a book called Jesus and John Wayne, and it's this really great description of what's going on in the religious communities. And that right. title and that phrase that people want Jesus that's loving and good and kind, but then they want an ass kicker like John Wayne to get the real work done. Yeah. Right. Right. And people assign Donald Trump. I mean, literally religious leaders from the evangelical and conservative worlds were saying this in 2016 and 2020. Like we we need a fighter. We we need some, like we'll be the kind ones we need Donald Trump to get into the swamp and the dirt and he'll do the right. dirty job that, that, that we haven't had anyone do before. So why someone thinks it's okay to outsource your cruelty and to outsource right. your piggishness? Um, well, that's because a lot yeah. of us feel like we have that internal, you know, uh, uh, person inside of us and we kind of right. want someone to be the, right. to be the fighter for us. Um, and then they just believe that, that politics is about power and it's a game <laughs> And it's not real. And this is the thing with my Republican friends right. that is amazing to me. They think they're playing some higher game, that some higher outcome. And politics is just the the game that gets you there. They don't right. they don't understand how much damage it does. They just believe things like if we just had less government, things would be better. Like, but but, but let me this, take it back to the religious works. people. But sorry, Cliff, but I want to take it back to the religious yeah. people. I mean. So, Somehow, and I don't get this though, because I think when you've got, I may not be as religious. I am more, I don't know what you want to call it, but the reason I've been involved in like LGBT activism all these years is, and I would say Cliff with his politics as well, a lot of us on the left are very evangelical about our politics, maybe to to use the phrase more ecumenically, meaning we have a passion for what we believe in. We don't just say, well, I took this issue because it's the same industry my dad was in. We're actually in this because we care about it because we believe in it. It it goes to sort of our heart, like why we're involved in it. And it hurts us when we lose. And right. So I, I don't understand. I look at religion that way too. And I don't get how you're able to do a cognitive disconnect and say, in essence, the ends justify the means. Yeah, we're going to accept the fact that we're, you know, hiring a philanderer who's a traitor who Jesus, well, I want to say Jesus wouldn't hate, but, you know, wouldn't exactly be, <laughs> he would be the prostitute Jesus would embrace, basically, this guy. And and that knocks the prostitute, to be honest. um, You know, it, how they can do that cognitive disconnect when religion typically, I thought, is something that is so central to your being that you don't do in politics. Yeah, 
in politics, you can have Republicans say, yes, I believe in all these things, but I also believe, hey, you got to get down and dirty and the ends justify the means. Religion isn't supposed to work that way. I realize it does with the Inquisition and stuff, but I just I, maybe, maybe, and I'll throw this to you, maybe I felt like we'd grown. And I know my our listeners are really going to get pissed at me for saying this, that in religious ways, people had grown and maybe matured a yeah. little. So we got beyond the Inquisition and the religious right clearly hasn't, though. I mean, obviously, they're just, I don't know. I don't know. John's lost himself. I don't get now. it. I'm just please, John, jump in and save well, us. Jump well, in. Well, I'm just stymied. <laughs> That's the thing. I don't get it. How a religious person is able to do this cognitive disconnect and accept these guys. Well, this is the this is the dilemma that religion tries to address overall. Not just in this hmm. particular issue we're talking about with politics, but overall. You know, hmm. why do people do the things they say they don't want to do? Like, why do we live like this? How are we so? Like, how did it get to this point? This is what winds someone up talking to their therapist or sitting in a bar, talking with the bartender or their best friend, literally thinking like, how did it come to this? How did right. we get here? You've been listening to a free excerpt of the unprecedented podcast to hear the rest of the show and hear all of our past shows and support our work as independent media. Please go to patreon.com slash unprecedented podcast and become a subscriber for as little as $5 a month. You can have all of our old episodes, see all of our Zoom interviews, and support the great work that we hope you think we're doing promoting the democratic and liberal agenda. Thanks so much for joining us, folks. See you next episode.